You're listening to 1881, powered by the American Hereford Association and part of the Hereford Network. Here's your host, Shane Bedwell. Welcome back to another episode of 1881. This is your host, Shane Bedwell, and uh, Christmas is right around the corner, and uh, we're excited to wrap up another excellent year at the American Hereford Association. Obviously, a lot going on, and uh, working hard uh, to finish out the year and uh, execute some of the the jobs and the duties that we have going on uh, currently right now. And we've got a couple of big events uh, coming up right after the first of the year at the Cattlemen's Congress there in Oklahoma City, as well as the prestigious National Western Stock Show the week after that. And we'll uh, finish up this episode with some comments about some of those events, but uh, I'm excited to jump right in to our uh, featured guest today, and the segment title for this episode is Committed to Advancing the Breed. The gentleman that we're going to have on today is uh, certainly no stranger to the membership and the history of the Hereford breed. He is a 2018 Hereford Hall of Fame inductee a past AHA and certified Hereford Beef, past board member and chairman, and uh, a gentleman that stays involved uh, with duties here at the American Hereford Association as he uh, serves as chairman of the Hereford Legacy Fund Board. And so it is my pleasure uh, to introduce uh, our guest today, Mr. John Lowen. John, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Give you a little background about our operation. Lowen Herefords was originally HVH Farms. HVH were Mona's dad's initials. His name was Harold V. Hunter. So, And we still use that HVH brand today on our cows. Mm-hmm. Harold bought his first registered Herefords in 1936. And in the 1950s, a genetic defect, dwarfism, hit the beef breeds. And Harold at that time had a small select herd, and it turned out they were queen of dwarfism. And it really put him on the map. And in the late 1950s and in the 1960s, when I joined him, we sold seed stock to many of the top herders all across America. Mona grew up on the farm, and I was a city boy. Uh, we married in 1960, so we've been married 63 years now. Wow. And she and she married me to get off the farm. <laughs> and uh, But it, it didn't work. I, I had grown up in town at, working in a restaurant. My folks owned a restaurant. And I was a dishwasher and, and uh, knew how to cut up chickens and fry cook. Yeah. Since I had grown up in a restaurant, we, we went to Oklahoma State and interviewed with the head of the hotel and restaurant management school. And he said, because of my experience, he could find a summer job for us in the Bahamas at that time for oh, Mona wow. and I. Really? And uh, uh, so Mona married me. And at that time, Harold gave us a bred heifer as a wedding gift. So we've owned cattle on our own since 1960. 
I switched majors to animal science, and I took Mona to Mississippi instead of the Bahamas after graduating from Oklahoma State. And I took a job as herdsman at Enbar Herefords at Sugarloaf, Mississippi. And my boss, the manager, was Carol Haygood, the uncle of Lee Haygood, who's a friend of many of us today. Mm-hmm. We moved back to Oklahoma in 1966 and operated as a partnership, HVH Farms, with Harold and Mona's brother, Losco. I learned the business from Harold and by reading the Hereford Magazine and the Pole Hereford Magazine. I, I, I read them page to page and, and, and learned the business a lot out of the magazine. Early on, one, one of the things Harold told me was, he said, John, we never touch a teat. Well, I didn't have a clue what that meant growing up in town. And, but I learned on the farm that if we ever had a cow that had an udder or a teat problem or issue, we sold her and didn't mess with it. And we never milked a cow out with a problem or anything. Yeah. And I became, I became an udder freak at a really early age in my career. Since our farm wasn't large enough to support three families, uh, Harold and I both took jobs off the farm. Harold went into politics and eventually became administrator of the REA in Washington, D.C. for eight years. And I had several jobs. And in 1979, I even became CEO of the American Old Herford Association for a week. No kidding. That's a st- but that's a story for a, when we have more time. Yeah. Uh, uh, that was quite an experience. But I then became a banker and retired from that in the year 2000. But during all this time, Mona and I owned our cattle, which we managed. A few years ago, when the cattle all belonged to Mona and I, she asked why we were still HVH Farms. And I said, well, we'd always been HVH Farms. And she thought we should change it to Lowen Herefords. So HVH evolved into Lowen Herefords. Mm-hmm. Uh, during this time, Harold had served as chairman of the American Polter Association board, and Jennifer, our daughter, was national APHA queen. And then in 1902, I, or 01, I was elected to the AHA board. And at that time, Hereford acceptance was really tough. The year before I got on the board, AHA had lost $900,000, Shane. Wow. My first year, we lost $250,000 on the board. Mm. We were we were down to less than a million dollars in reserves. Mm. But with the reorganization and then sound management since then, the AHA is now in a strong financial position. Uh well, those My were some trying year. times there, for sure. Oh, they were. And it, it was a time when we started really embracing the Black Baldy deal even then and, and trying to spread, increase our bull market at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> My first year on the board, at a meeting soon after I joined, we met with two large commercial cow herd managers, 
And they just told us to our face that they would never use another Hereford bull if we didn't get our calving knees and birth weight fixed. That So I started looking, and at that same year at the Meat Animal Research Center in Nebraska, Herefords had the highest birth weight of the seven breeds they managed. So I looked at my cows, and my average birth weight was higher than the breed average. So I went home determined to make a change in direction and improve calving ease. Mm-hmm. Two years later, while serving as chairman of CHB, or Certified Hereford Beef, I was going through a packing plant with Certified Hereford Beef carcasses on one side and Certified Angus carcasses on the other. Uh, and I went home after seeing that with the conviction we had to improve our marbling, hence our quality grade, or we would, we would become a hobby breed. And so. I had another change in direction. Mm-hmm. Earlier than that, I was flying low across Canada with Monty Souls, then the manager of Star Lake, and he was driving our rental car that it seemed like we were flying. <laughs> and he, at that and, yeah. and, and by that's the, coming. By the way, that's that's. Oh, I got to stop you right there. That that's coming from somebody that likes to drive pretty fast too. So you guys must have really been carrying the mail. Listen, I drive slow compared to that. That that that, that Lincoln rental car was new when we got it, and we turned it in. I don't know if they jumped it or not, but anyway, but anyway, we're flying across Canada, and part of our discussion, EPDs were just being introduced, mm-hmm. and I was and I was cussing them. I didn't know anything about them, and I'm cussing them, and Monty said we had to change our attitude and embrace them because EPDs would become the most important tool for breed improvement and marketing. Mm-hmm. And and that's coming from a guy that really knew how to market. Mm-hmm. As I look back at that trip, it was another really big change in direction in our program. So through those few years there, we, we, we started after birth weight, to improve it. We started after marbling to improve it. And I started using EPDs at that time. And that was kind of easy for me to do because when I managed the banks, I had it pounded into me that you must be able to measure performance to improve performance. And in banking, that's how I managed the banks. Every day when I started the, the day, I had the current income and balance sheet on my desk to make decisions with. And, and, and so I learned to manage using data and how to measure it. Then all of a sudden here, we had the tools to measure performance with her for cattle. And I was like, I was able to make more progress in six years time than I had made in the 50 years before breeding cattle. I've been breeding herfords now for 65 years. And in the first 50 years, I'll be honest, we had good cattle, but but there was no way to really measure what we were doing. The last 15 years, we've made much more improvement. During my life, 
my father-in-law had taught me we had to have great udders. My short time fitting show cattle, I learned that phenotype was important, and I've always loved attractive phenotype, attractive cattle. Mm-hmm. And now I had the tools to make huge improvement in calving ease, in marbling, and in spread from birth weight to yearling weight. Mm-hmm. And so this was a, those were really important events in my life, I think. Uh, during my time on the HA board, I was assigned a seat on the Hereford Youth Foundation board. And at that time, we had $200,000 in assets. Also on the Hereford Youth Foundation board was Bob Call. Bob Call was a director from here in Oklahoma. And Bob was a great thinker and goal setter and planner. And we would drive together to meetings and drive home after meetings. And he came up with the plan to select a new board of folks that would be willing to ask our membership for support and for money for the Hereford Youth Foundation. And then the next year, we put our plan into reality. And in 2003, the Hereford Youth Foundation really kicked off. And we went from $200,000 in assets to over $5 million today. And I give Bob Call the credit for that. And, and Bob's Bob's initial goal was, well, what was his what was his figure that he's like, well, you know? Well, Bob goal publicly was five million. Yeah, we set a goal of five million dollars, but real, in his goal secretly driving the car was let's set a goal of five million and hope we can get two. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that was our goal. If we could get two million dollars. Yep. We could we could fund a lot of scholarships. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in the last ten years, it's been amazing how many scholarships we've been able to fund with that. No doubt. And and so the public goal of five million, we've exceeded that. Uh, in twenty sixteen, I was turning seventy five, and I thought maybe it was time to slow down. And at that time, we had built what I thought was the best set of females, best set of cows we'd ever owned. And so we decided to disperse them, to mm-hmm. slow down. And during this time, I thought a lot about how I had got where we were. Here I was, 75 years old, or coming 75. And I thought of what my father-in-law had taught me on a lot of things. I also thought about other people that had helped me. Mm-hmm. One of them was Odell Galvin, who's now in the Hall of Fame and yep. just deceased this last year. Right. And Odell Odell was a great mentor t- to me. Another one was Bob Cole. Bob Cole didn't know a cow from 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 a, a llama, but Bob Cole knew people. And Bob, in the time I spent with Bob, he taught me a lot about how to treat people and how to read people. Hmm. And so Bob was a, a mentor. And then another mentor for me over these years is somebody that's actually younger than I am, and it's Kevin Schultz. And Kevin uh, and I have been partners or friends for several years, and Kevin has been a great mentor to me. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've learned a lot from, from Kevin. We had our sale in, in 2016, and it was a great success. And when the day was over, I, I didn't own any Herefords, 
I had one recip cow that wasn't in the sale because she wasn't bred. And that was the only animal we had. But I did have an a I did have an AI tank full of embryos from our best cows. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. But I ended up buying some commercial cows at that time, putting those embryos in. And this really wasn't our plan. We didn't know what we were going to do. We were just so focused on getting through that sale day. Yep. But we, but at age 75, with nothing else to do but some frozen embryos, we started over again. <laughs> and we've not changed our goals since that time. And I looked yesterday, and today our donor cows are all in the top 1% or 2% for both marbling and CHB index. Mm-hmm. And except for one cow, they're in the top 10% growth and top 2% milk and grow in the thing. Our herd sires mirror that, plus all of our herd sires are in the top 5% for, for carcass weight. Mm-hmm. And I think carcass weight is something that we've neglected somewhat, and I'm really pe- trying to pay attention to that. Uh, and And we use only donor cows. And herd sires from cows with great udders, like my father-in-law taught me over 60 years ago. My advice to someone starting out today, whether they're 75 years old or whether they're young, it makes no difference. If I was going to give somebody advice, I would tell them to start with a few really good females. They don't have to be expensive, but, but look at the cow herds that they come out of and realize that the females you buy will be no better than the cow herds they come out of. Mm-hmm. And so really buy good quality females from good cow herds. And, and then set goals, both short and long-term goals. Without goals, you don't have a clue where you're going and you don't know how you're performing. Mona and I are both in our 80s. I do 90% of the labor, the feeding, the breeding, and I spend hours planning the matings. Mona spends several days a week teaching English as a second language and teaching a citizenship class. Okay. When she, when she started the citizenship class in our rural area here, I she had me come the first day and help people sign up, and I was amazed. We In our little rural town, we had people from 11 different nations take this citizenship class. Wow. So it shows how important this was. At the HA, I served as the director, as CHB chairman. I was a founder of Hereford Youth Foundation in 2003. Like you said, I'm still on the legacy board. We manage AHA funds, but also in that board, we help fund some of the research that you manage. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. Mona and I both spent over 60 years in the business. We love Hereford cattle. We like the people. And it's it's been a way of life for us. So, John, while, while we were on that kind of that, that topic of the legacy fund, I think, uh, you know, you do a good job each and every annual meeting. But for some of those folks that maybe have not heard that talk and and understand maybe the full story let's let's discuss that legacy fund and why it was set up uh for for our membership 
the uh, the man, uh, the staff and and the board made a decision to to uh, sell the building we own downtown because there was a demand for a new hotel there and move out and lease space. And when we sold that building, we took those funds and invested them in this, what we call legacy account. And our, our, and, and out of this legacy account, we, we pay our lease expenses and our, and the expenses to, to uh, all the, to, to rent space and all those overhead. Plus we pay some research projects, mm-hmm. but we also manage those funds to can continue to grow for future, whatever, uh, what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've got over 11 million in that account today. And it's, it's, it's been a joy. It's interesting that committee I'm on, there's five of us. The other four are all past chairman of the board. Mm-hmm. So they really have an inv- a vested interest in seeing this do well. Yep. Uh, and, uh, uh, I'm chairman of that thing. And, and I don't know why I told him at my age, I said, look around. I said, you look at these guys looking for president. They're all the same age I am. I said, you, we don't need any of us doing this at this age, but, <laughs> but, but uh, somehow they, they stuck me back in there. Yep. But, no, that's, that's, uh, been impressive how you guys have managed that fund to, uh, be able to grow it since it's, a uh, initial, um, step and, uh, been able to operate functionally out of it uh, for our rent space and then uh, be able to go after some really neat research projects yeah. um, and still grow the fund, uh, that's that's a success. And, yeah, it has uh, been. It's been, it's, been a good, it's been a good. It's been good. I think the board came up with a good plan there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, John, you've, you've gave a lifetime, uh, you and Mona to the Hereford breed. And, um, you know, if you folks have never had an opportunity to go through, uh, the low and cow herd, uh, the utter antique quality, uh, I can remember that dispersion sale like it was yesterday. Um, it was, it was an impressive set of females and every one of them, uh, were excellent in their teak quality. So what, um, what Harold instilled in you, uh, very early on, it was, it stuck and you've maintained that. And I've always appreciated that about the cattle that you've put out there for the whole entire breed to use. It, it, and here's, what's amazing to me. I, I really, I did, I was proud of that set of females. I think they were really good, but here we are six years later, seven, six and a half years later, whatever. Yeah. And the females I've got today are better than they were. And it's not because I'm so smart. It's because the tools we have in the breed and because the way we've improved the breed mm-hmm. from the time I met with those two commercial guys that wouldn't said they'd never use another Hereford bull because of our calving ease to today, our breeders have really improved in our calving ease. Yep. The, the marbling thing, we still drag behind some but we've identified cattle that will marble and will grade. And we live in the United States. If you live in the United States, the beef system is built on quality grade in the commercial business. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to have these cattle marble and grade. 
And and so, but I really feel fortunate uh, when I look at the cows I've got now. Uh, if you look at the traits we measure, they're quite a bit better than they were six years ago. Right. You know, something else I want to talk about uh, before we go here, John, is what uh, you and uh, a few other breeders have been able to do in your area. Maybe um, none of you in this group uh, can put together a bull cell, but I think it's it's really set up a a good footprint for other breeders of uh, like minds and breeding philosophies to potentially do to get the number of bulls offered uh, at a level that can attract any type of customer. And that's uh, what you guys have done with the, the Hereford heritage bull sale in, in, in February, uh, maybe share, share how that uh, all came about and how that's uh, worked into a pretty successful annual sale every year. When, when we, this all started from an idea from Joe Birdwell, one of our partners, who was chairman of the board HA, and Cindy Pribble, who's on the board now, and myself, ride, riding to a sale together. And we talked about uh, merging our herd, our, our bull sale, because none of us were big enough to have a sale of our own on just bulls. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we agreed to at that time is we wanted to offer bulls that would improve the breed. And if you'll look now uh, at the bulls we sell, they will probably average in, well, I know they'll average in the top 10% of the breed in marbling, in calving ease, and probably also in yearling weight. Since that time, Reggie Willits and Amber, his wife, have joined us, and now we hold a sale at their their farm, actually, Mm -hmm. and uh, the four of us. But if... The cattle are very compatible, even though they may have a little different pedigrees. It, it's kind of a joy to look at them and look at look at the EPDs on that set of cattle. Right. And uh, so, I mean, for that to be successful, I mean, if somebody else was going to go start a similar program, I mean, breeding philosophies have to be pretty well aligned, right? I mean. Yeah, yeah, no, no you're right. I think we all... We're all looking at calving ease. We're all trying to prove our, our, our the grade of the cattle by improving marbling, and and we all like attractive cattle. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the, I, I can remember when EPDs first got out. A lot of the talk was, well, these carcass kind of cattle uh, <clears throat> don't have don't have the look. They don't have the phenotype, but I think. As we've developed and founded these cattle, we've proven that's not true. We can still have a really attractive cattle that that, that have really nice carcass in them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, before this, several years ago, in fact, it was when I was on, on the board right when I first got on. Uh, uh, Craig Huffines, who was the CEO of HA at that time. And I called on uh, Gerald Callahan, who was the president of Express Ranches. And at that time, they didn't have any Herefords. And I and we were talking about how they found these Angus with their cavities and the way they could grade. And I made the comment, 
Smith, and I, did, I wasn't sure we had him in the Hereford breed. And Gerald at that time told me, says, no, you've got them. He says, they're out there. He says, you guys have just got to find them. And sure enough, since that time, in the last 20 years, now we can take and, and pull up sire searches and all. And we have bukus of cattle that have got the right kind of numbers. Mm-hmm. And 20 years ago, we didn't think we had any. It, right. it, it's kind of amazing how we've improved that. Mm-hmm. No, certainly appreciate uh, all of your efforts uh, uh, during your time on the board. I mean, you think about uh, during that time, whole herd reporting uh, was just getting going and the TPR program and the fundamentals uh, that are behind that program, you would have been right into that. Um, of course, the merger was uh, had already um, happened, but, uh, you know, was still kind of the the aftermath and juggling uh, those times and CHB was uh, getting a foothold and uh, trying to get some traction. And, um, you know, you guys uh, did a great job of being able to move that forward. And then the the youth foundation uh, that you talked about and um, Bob call that you brought up. um, Speaking of that, they, they made a, a, an awesome contribution back to the youth foundation uh, right during the season of giving, um, in, mm. in memory of his, of his wife and a very substantial, a substantial gift of 125,000. <laughs> and, um, you yeah. know, it's, it's really amazing. Um, that kind of leadership and, and the men that were on the board at that time, the, the fruits of those labors that you guys put together, uh, we're we're reaping them right now. A, a quick story, um, like I said, Bob and I were both from Oklahoma, so we and Bob didn't like to fly, so we would drive to the board meetings, and 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 uh, I think that's the only reason they put me on the board was to be Bob's driver. <laughs> and but all the way to Kansas City, we didn't talk about football games. We didn't talk about anything except what we were going to accomplish in those board meetings and what needed to be done. Then when the meeting was over and we were driving home, we we spent the first part of the drive talking about what we accomplished at the meetings and what we didn't get accomplished. And the last part of the meeting, Bob started planning for the next meeting. Hmm. And it might be three months down the road or six months down the road. But what I've but you talked about a guy that was goal oriented. Mm-hmm. He set goals that today uh, uh, we all enjoy the benefit of. Mm. Look, look, people don't realize how important it is to have a sound financial base at our association so we can do the things we need to do. When I first got on the board and we were losing big time money, we were just panicked trying to keep the doors open the way you guys have managed this thing and built these reserves enables us to, to kind of be at the forefront on a lot of research and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, and we need to give Bob credit for putting that in place actually. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John, any, uh, parting comments, uh, you'd like to tell a young breeder out there or, um, advice, uh, for, uh, your fellow, fellow uh, breeders, your peers? 
No, I, I, you know, we've got an exciting time coming up with the uh, Congress in Denver, just back to back. You know, there's going to be a lot of good visiting, a lot of good cattle offered. Yep. Look at, looking at the cattle, cattle logs, there's some, some really, some really good genetics being offered in these sales. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a good time to, good time to see those cattle. Yeah. So, uh, Cattlemen's Congress, um, uh, is the first week there in January in, uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, the junior show will start on that Wednesday, January 3rd. January 4th will be the pin show. Um, That'll take place, and uh, for all of our listeners out there, whether you're a breeder, a member, or a commercial cattleman, uh, make sure you put the 4th uh, on your calendar and come to Oklahoma City. We're going to feed you a steak sandwich, a certified Hereford beef steak sandwich. Uh, we've partnered up with the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association, and they've stepped up to help us uh, prepare those steaks. and. Um, so that'll begin at 11 o'clock that morning on January 4th. And uh, you'll also have an opportunity to win a WW shoot. And so um, make sure you come and sign up to that. We really appreciate um, our uh, partnership with WW and their willingness to, to step up and offer that. January 5th, the Friday, uh, we'll have the bull show there in the Coliseum there at Congress. And then that night will be the uh, the sale, the National Hereford sale. Awesome catalog, as John pointed out, uh, really strong genetic offering. A lot of versatility in the offering uh, ought to be something in there for everybody. And, of course, the night before that, uh, that Thursday night, there'll be a frozen genetic sale uh, that's sure very exciting uh, that Justin Stout manages. Then we'll finish out uh, the January 6th, uh, that Saturday, Congress will be the open female show. So we'll have a few few days off back here in the office, uh, off the road. And then the National Western is the following week. And uh, again, uh, the story tradition of Denver and the new yards uh, that they're working on uh, have, have got completed. I know they're making a few adjustments, but uh, January 10th will be... Uh, a commercial female sale down in the yards that will be heavily influenced with uh, uh, Hereford females and uh, F1 females in that offering. Some great uh, red baldies and black baldies coming to town, um, and so we're we're excited to be a part of the maternal merit sale. And then on uh, January twelfth uh, will be the pin show down in the yards, um, and then uh, another great Hereford sale. Uh, Friday afternoon uh, to uh, to keep the, kind of the momentum going. It's uh, these these two sales, and particularly the National Hereford sale, really sets the stage for what's going to come uh, later there in January with some reputation Hereford outfits kicking us off for for bull sale season. So a lot of optimism in the air uh, for sure for the breed. Uh, these sales here in December have been very, very strong, both on the female side and on the bull sale side. Uh, as you think about some of those northern bull sales in Wyoming, uh, the reports uh, from from our fieldmen and those breeders up there have been extraordinarily good. And the new interest from commercial cattlemen coming home to Hereford and using Hereford genetics for the first time 
um, and, and their operation cycle has been really, really good. So, John, I loved your message that you sent today and uh, utilizing the tools um, and making the, making the product absolutely as good as we possibly can uh, because these folks coming and, and buying a Hereford Bull for the first time, they're getting a really good product. And um, it, it's just going to pay dividends. And, and who knows? I think, uh, again, the other message that came out of this for me, the fruits of your labor may not be realized for a little while. Um, and so the, the dedication and efforts that you're putting forth now will continue to pay off, whether it's five years or 20 years down the road. It, it's setting this breed up to really do a lot of neat things. So I appreciate your time today, John. Thanks for all you do for the breed. And I appreciate what our membership does for the breed to keep us moving forward. And I want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and uh, a blessed New Year. And excited to see you all here uh, in Oklahoma City and Denver. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hereford Association's podcast, 1881, with host Shane Bedwell. For more information, visit Hereford.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.